One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from thirty dollars. You got washable silk tops, really stunning fourteen karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. I am Dori Shafrir. And together we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. We do. And you can visit our website at Forever 35 Podcast for links to everything we mention on the show. We are on Twitter at Forever 35 Pod, Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast, and on Facebook where the Forever 35 Facebook group password is serums. You can also toodaloot on over to shopmyshelf.us slash forever35, where you will find all kinds of prods on various shelves. Kate keeps promising she's going to do a butt care shelf. You know, I am recovering. So listen, stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. I cannot overextend <laughs> myself to make this butt care shelf. I will be making Listen, a butt care shelf. The people, you know, the people are clamoring for a butt it, care shelf. It was also funny being away for like over a week. My butt care, like I didn't bring my butt care prods because I had a carry on. So I got oh. home and I was like, oh, I got to catch up on the butt care. Uh, hey, you can also sign up for our newsletter at forever35podcast.com <laughs> at new, slash newsletter. Oh my God. Goodness gracious. Oh, um, 
Yeah. And don't forget, you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. You can also email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Gmail. <laughs> what? Gmail. Gmail really makes me chuckle. That <laughs> makes me chuckle. All right. Well, Dory, why don't you tell our listeners about a um, project that we have in the works? Yeah. We're so excited about this. I, first, well, first, I just want to give credit to Virginia Soulsmith, uh, proprietress of the Burnt Toast newsletter and podcast, which we have mentioned on the show before. She is the first person that I saw doing this. I know, I'm sure many, many other people have been doing this, but she was the first one that I saw. Um, so thank you, Virginia. Anyway, it is a giving circle with the States Project. And the States Project is an organization that works to shift the balance of power in state legislatures. So one thing that I've been thinking a lot about is how can I show up, like, not just in moments of crisis? Mm. You know, like, because I feel like that has historically been my instinct. Like, oh, my gosh, this this bad thing happened. Oh, panic, panic, panic. Like, what do I do? And then, like, a couple weeks go by. And it's not like I've forgotten about it, but, like, the urgency has gone. And I would like to just kind of channel some of that urgency into a more consistent um, activism, I suppose. And so that was one of the reasons why I really like the idea of the Giving Circle with the States Project, because what they are doing is they are really trying to build infrastructure in these battleground states. They're not, they're not willy-nilly focusing on a million different things. They're not, they're not just talking about like the hot young telegenic candidate they are like boots on the ground organizing building these local organizations so that democrats can either hold or retake state legislatures because kate as we have seen in the last few years those mother effers at the state legislative level they can pass some shit. Oh yeah, baby. And they like can pass some shit. They can pass some shit. And like I feel like we're like I've kind of been sleeping on the state legislature stuff, but mm -hmm, you know who mm -hmm. haven't been sleeping on it? The Republicans. That's right, Dory. And luckily, <laughs> the States Project is not sleeping on it either. And one no. thing I think you and I have talked about is is deferring to the experts yes. who all, are already doing the work. Indeed. You know? And I think this is a thing that especially us white ladies like to yep. come in and be like, what can I do? I'm going to lead the way, but I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. <laughs> totally. And what we are really trying to remember and focus on is that there are already people doing the work and have been doing the work for decades. And we are going to yes. let them take the lead and we are going to support and learn and listen and follow. And yeah, also and I, put our beats, our boots on the G's. Yeah. Our, our B's on the, on the G, which I believe is a, <laughs> a, a bitch sesh. Oh, is it? Uh, <laughs> yes, I believe the gals of Bitch Sash talk about bees on the G. Bees on the G's. Um, yeah, and you know, I do just want to clarify that this doesn't mean that like we're like, well, we're just going to leave it to the experts. Exactly. That's not what this is about. This is about putting our money where our mouth is, putting our time and energy where our mouth is, but not 
coming in guns blazing and saying like, we're going to solve this, but we have no clue. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah. So that's what we're doing. So how Um, does this work, Dory? Okay. So we have set up this giving circle and we will, it's a kind of long URL. So we will link to it in the show notes. Um, And you give money and then we will select a state to focus on. So the states project focuses on seven battleground states, Arizona, Maine, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. And like I said, we have not selected which state we're going to focus on. Um, We thought it would be fun to kind of maybe like let people who donate vote to see which one we should direct the money to. Um, But we will, it will be going to efforts in one of these states. And yeah, that's kind of it. We're going to have Melissa Walker. Um, who is the head of giving circles for the States project. We're planning on having her on the pod in the next few weeks to talk a little bit more about that. And we are also planning on having a zoom with um, her and us to just talk about kind of where the money is going, how else you can get involved, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we're really excited about this initiative. Um, we are donating our own money to it. We're really excited. We hope that you all are as excited about this as we are. Can I give a little speech story? Oh, yes. I just want to... Is it a soapbox? Do you want to get on a soapbox? I'm going to get on like a tiny soapbox. I just want to say, oftentimes when we talk about initiatives like this that we're doing, we'll get a couple, a variety of messages. Most of them are supportive. Some are like, we disagree with you politically. How dare you bring politics into your podcast? which is fine. You may disagree with us politically. You do not have to participate. You are obviously welcome to be here. We love having you here. The third we get is, I listen to this podcast not to think about this stuff. Please stop talking about it and keep Mm -hmm. talking about serums. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I just want to preempt, if you're going to send that message, you don't have to. We have heard it. We've received the feedback and we've decided that we disagree. And this is an important part of not just our individual self-care, but the care that we are trying to extend to our communities on a local and national level. And it is extremely important to us. We have heard that feedback before. We see you. There are other podcasts that you can listen to that may not be having this content, but we also, again, welcome you to stay. Okay. If if I could, if I could like applaud that a thousand million times, I would. That is Thank the best you. soapbox you've ever gotten on. And this is not to say that we're not going to talk about products. I, in fact, am trying out a bunch of skincare products right now, and I am loving them. We will keep talking about all the stuff we talk about, but this is important. Mm-hmm. We have a platform and we're going to use it. Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it's okay if you don't agree or don't like it. Yeah. But that's not going to change our minds. Yeah. On that note, Dory, you want me to tell you quickly about these dear 
prods that I'm using? Yes, I would because I've been so dear curious. <laughs> First of all, I sure hope I'm saying this right. It's dear, right? I think so. Okay. Charlotte Parlor, if you're out there, make sure, tell me I'm, if I'm saying it right, one of the founders of the brand. Okay. Isn't I've been her, wanting. Isn't her last name, um, I think Charlotte Parlor is her social media. Oh, is that not her real name? Yeah, that's not her real name. Palermino is her last name. I apologize. I, you know, I tend to just register people's names as like their handles. Yes, yes, and yes. Then I, and, then a, and then this happens where I realize like, oh, that isn't actually, yeah, you're right, Palermino. And I just call her Par- Charlotte Parlor. Well, live and learn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for correcting me on that. Uh, so I have tried their three, I'm trying their three products. They're um, reusable little eye masks. Let me make sure I'm getting the name of these prods right, Dory. Pardon me. Dear Skin, shop now. Okay, so I am trying their three products. I bought their Forever Eye Masks. I bought their Deliverance Serum. And while I was at it, I was like, oh, why not? Let me try their Instant Angel Moisturizer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so the eye masks, immediate love. Immediate love. I put them on with, I used like a I put my serums on my face one morning. I put a Corez eye gel underneath my eyes, and then I slap these suckers on, and they're amazing. I'm obsessed with them. They're reusable eye sheet masks. So easy to use. Boom. Done. I get it now. I'm so glad I bought them. Deliverance Serum, I've only used once, so I'm going to have to report back, but we've had some listeners who have written in who love this stuff, so I'm excited to try. Instant Angel Skin Restoring Moisturizer. Let me tell you, this is a game changer. Oh, wow. Okay. This product has come in hot into my group of thick-ass moisturizers that I love. (laughs) And it has like weaseled its way into like the top three. Wow. Okay. This stuff is good. This stuff is good. It's moisturizing. It is a like a skin barrier lipid packed cream. Ooh. And it's very rich. It's not super heavy. It's very rich on the skin. I'm obsessed with it. It's fantastic. So I'll keep using this guy, but or this I shouldn't I shouldn't gender this moisturizer. I'll keep using this product, but I am liking it. And I will say it doesn't irritate the skin going on or my eyes, which is like, for me, if it stings going on, I have a problem. Mm. So this is the one I wasn't like, I just kind of threw it in the cart being like, why not? I'm here, you know, add it Mm -hmm. to the bag. But this stuff is good. Wow. I think you've sold me. Yeah, I, I was I was really kind of surprised at how much I've liked it. So um, I've been using it. Did I put it on my skin today? I didn't this morning, but I've been using it a lot and I'm really enjoying it. So Okay. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to these dear prods. They are quite good. Wow. All right. Well, I'm I'm in. I'm on board. You gotta get this one. I think I, I think you would it. really like this cream. And, and you're not a big heavy cream person, but I think I think it's light enough that you, you know, it's very in line with Skin Fix's triple lipid, which we both love. 
Mm-hmm. So, so there we are. Okay. <sighs> well, you know what, Kate, I am going to be doing on an upcoming episode. I was recently sent a bunch of those radio frequency wand. You were? Yes, I was. I wasn't. You were just sent a bunch of wands. Okay, I'll I'll explain more later. (laughs) I am I am jealous. I I just want to I just want to report that I'm going to be doing some comparing and contrasting. More to come on this. Okay, but I just want to put it out there that some beauty gadgetry is going to be (laughs) experimented with. You know, I appreciate and you know, this. I'm not, we, and I'm not a be- big beauty gadget person. No, that's why my envy is showing because I love a gadget. Well, I'm look, very I'll probably jealous. end up giving them all to you. So like, <laughs> God, let's be God honest. This together. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? This is kind of exciting because what if you find one and you're like, oh, this one changes my gadget opinion. Yeah. I mean, maybe that could happen. Um. All right. Can I give a brief shout out before we introduce our guest? Yes, of course. You know, they don't advertise on the podcast anymore, but Liquid IV, an old podcast advertiser that we (laughs) fell in love with, has been really keeping me going during this COVID and post-COVID time. I'm so glad to hear that. I'm just sitting here sipping a watermelon liquid IV in my water bottle, and I just have to give them a shout out. watermelon. Yes, they have some newer flavors. Okay. It's really good, but I've been really trying to like, you know, hydrate, 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 and uh, old liquid IV just making a reappearance. I just wanted to shout them out. We miss you. We do miss you, Liquid IV. <sighs> wow. We were abandoned. They abandoned us. <laughs> it's okay. You know, not every advertiser stays, and that's fine. But <laughs> we keep using the products because we like them. Well, we are so excited about our guest on our episode today. We have Jessica Pinkney here. Jessica is the Executive Director of Access Reproductive Justice and a community-based organization funding abortion and advocating for reproductive justice for all. Access removes barriers and builds the power of Californians to achieve reproductive justice. Jessica oversees the organization's work to combine direct services, community education, and policy advocacy to promote real reproductive options and access to a high quality of life for people in California. She previously served as Vice President of Government Affairs at In Our Own Voice, the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda, a national state partnership with eight Black women's reproductive justice organizations, and as a government relations manager for YWCA USA, which which is one of the oldest and largest women's organizations in the country. Jessica served as a legislative analyst at the University of California Office of Federal Government Relations. I mean, goodness gracious. And she is an avid reader. She's a loving dog mom to her eight-year-old American bulldog. And she previously served as the vice chair on the board of directors for Plant Parenthood of Metropolitan Washington and the chapter co-director for New Leaders Council DC. Goodness gracious. What a resume. Come on. Come on. We are so excited to bring you our conversation with Jessica. Yeah, it it's so enlightening and um yeah, I'm just so thrilled that we got a chance to talk to her. All right, we'll be right back. 
Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events. There's weddings. There's nights out. It's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Super Power Short. The Super Power Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that my, thing every day. I do too. Uh, it's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no. I was just going to say like, I, I, I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh, God, like get this off of me. No, thank <laughs> once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year, I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the US and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So, this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be Redefining feminism with glorious dynamic. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation 
with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe Capture Your Vision Through Photography with Petra Collins. Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually... Actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince. But it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie. Also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from thirty dollars. You got washable silk tops, really stunning fourteen karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. You know, one thing I think is really kind of interesting about skin, my skin, but all skin, is that like what it needs now in my 40s is not what I needed in my 30s. Totally. Definitely not what I needed in my 20s. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, how are you supposed to know what your skin needs? It's hard. It's hard to know. Especially when there's just like so many products out there. The overwhelm is real. It's a struggle to even know how to get the results you want what products to start with. This is why we're super excited to partner with Apostrophe. Apostrophe is a prescription skincare company that offers science-backed medications that are clinically proven to help. I have used Apostrophe. I love it. They will pair you with a board-certified dermatologist who literally creates a personalized treatment plan for your skin. I have done this a few times now. It is so easy to do their online consultation. You upload photos. And like within a few weeks, I had done a consultation and received my treatment plan and my product. Amazing. And that is how I became a Tretinoin gal. 
I love the tretinoin that they sent me. I love their sunscreen. Both products have been amazing on my skin. And you, Forever 35 listeners, can get a special deal from Apostrophe. You can get your first visit for only $5. That's at apostrophe.com slash forever35 when you use our code forever35. Now that is a savings of $15. I like that. This code is only available to Forever 35 listeners. So to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash forever35 and click get started. And then use our code forever35 at sign up and you will get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. We are so excited to have you on the show today, Jessica. Welcome to Forever 35. Thank you. Very excited to be with y'all. Um, so we were chatting a little bit before we got started, and I mentioned that we always start by asking our guests about a self-care practice, and you got a rather um, alarmed look on your face. <laughs> uh, it's just um, interesting to think about self-care in this particular moment yes. in time. I am also um, about four and a half months pregnant. So congratulations. They, oh, thank you. Uh, it's quite an interesting time to be pregnant and thinking yeah. about self care and also doing the work that I do in abortion access, abortion funding. So um, it's interesting because I feel a little bit like I don't have a choice in self care. Like my body mm. really tells me when I can't do anything mm. else anymore. Yeah. Um, or like when I need to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so it's kind of forced up on me, which is not necessarily a bad thing in this moment. But I would say my my favorite self-care routine is definitely reading. I'm an avid reader. Um, and that was something I wasn't able to do for the first few months of my pregnancy just because I was super sick. Mm. Um, so trying to create more space now for reading now that I can stare at a page for longer than 20 seconds. (laughs) Can I ask you what kind of books you like to read? We, We talk a lot about books as, you know, a form of escapism, but also a wonderful way to obviously inform and educate ourselves. Do you have a genre that you are drawn to or, okay, oh gosh. Jessica's not. I I do. Um, I have a genre that I'm drawn to, and I'm usually quite embarrassed about it. Although I've just gotten over it <laughs> with time. Um, I read a little bit of everything. I love a historical fiction. Um, occasionally, I can read nonfiction. Although, you know, as a social social justice advocate, that gets harder and harder. I would yeah. say. Um, but my go to is contemporary romance novels. Um, Jessica, you're in the best space for that. That's what I write and also all that I read. It's only what yeah, I Kate write. Kate is a romance novelist, so yeah. you've come to the right it. place. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, welcome. Amazing. We're, we're so glad you're here to talk about romance books and abortion access. <laughs> Listen, I can probably talk to you about romance novels as much, if not better, than abortion <laughs> But, um, I, yeah, I just, I needed escapism, uh, in my line of work. And, you know, I think people always think of romance novels as like those heroines, like someone being carried away on like a horse or something, but there's like a whole contemporary genre that's really rooted in reality. Um, 
I love reading women of color, color offer authors. So Jasmine Guillory, of course, was my introduction into contemporary romance, but, um, I, I love that it's like relatable still too, you know, it's like, Oh, this is a real person. She works for the mayor of like, you know, this is a life that I can somewhat relate to. Um, yeah. And it's just like nice to have a happy ending. We don't get enough of those these days in the real world. So I'm always looking for a happy ending in my reading. I, I relate to that. I don't read as much romance as Kate, but my big genre is mysteries. And I always say like, I just need them to solve the case. Yeah. And like, that's the satisfying thing. <laughs> you know, unlike real life, we get the answer at the end. Totally. Um, totally. So I really relate to that. Yeah. I think that's really the only reason I can read nonfiction is because I often know how it is going to end. <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can like emotionally prepare for it a little bit. Yes. Yeah. yes. The other thing I, I think about contemporary romance, and then we can obviously move on, but it's incredibly intersectional and feminist. And I think that is really amazing and totally. not often what people who do not read romance really think. So. Totally. I'm thrilled to hear that you read contemporary romance. That is my <laughs> bread and butter. Love it. I'm glad we have that in common. <laughs> um, well, Jessica, as much as we would like to talk about contemporary romance with you for the next half hour, we did invite you on the show to talk about abortion access um, and reproductive justice. So um, could we start with just kind of a brief overview about what exactly is going on in the country right now with regards to reproductive rights and abortion access. And I realize this is a big question and one that could take hours to explain, but the, in the broadest possible terms, like how did we get here? Sure. That is a very loaded question, um, but one I unfortunately have an answer to. So uh, essentially, um, at the beginning of May, we saw um, Politico break uh, news that there had been a leak in the Supreme Court and a draft opinion um, had been released. And this opinion was related to the case that the Supreme Court heard in December called Dobbs v. Jackson, which was about the 15-week abortion ban in Mississippi. And um, in the reproductive health rights and justice space, this was really kind of what we saw as one of the most um, tangible or likely um, attacks on Roe that we've seen in uh, Roe v. Wade that we've seen in quite some time. Um, states have been trying to get creative to ban abortion at the state level. Uh, and usually those cases get stuck in the courts for long periods of time, um, meaning that folks are still able to access abortion um, across the country. Uh, we did see in September that Texas enacted Senate Bill 8, which um, essentially bans abortion basically after six weeks. It's a little it's based on when there's a fetal heartbeat, which is usually around six weeks. Um, so we were already getting a sneak peek of what things could look like uh, once the Supreme Court made their decision. 
uh, with the Texas ban. But I think it really became real for folks when the the leaked decision came out. uh, And it was clear that, you know, Roe v. Wade um, and the cases that followed, such as Planned Parenthood v. Casey, were going to be uh, overruled. And that would lead to uh, abortion rights essentially going back to the states, uh, meaning that about 26 states would immediately ban abortion. Um, I will say, and I think it's really important to name, that Roe v. Wade has always been the floor for abortion, not the ceiling. Um, it was a right that was granted to pregnant people in 1973 when the Supreme Court uh, made their decision. But um, for years, people have had barriers to accessing abortion care all across the country, even in progressive states like California, where I am. Um, so, you know, we really need to be holding the line right now on Roe v. Wade um, because it is the floor. But we also need to acknowledge that a right is only a right if you can actually access it. And for many in this country, they have never been able to access abortion care. And that is likely to be very much exacerbated uh, once the Supreme Court makes their final decision, as we anticipate it to come at the end of June. I know that what was leaked uh, to Politico is a draft and not considered the quote final decision. And also currently abortion is still the law of the land. Roe v. Wade, excuse me, is still the law of the land. Correct. Mm -hmm. Is there any hope that you see that um, there may be some shift and is there any kind of conversations being had that what, what we, what we see is this draft might change or is the feeling generally like this is it? Um, I am very much a glass half empty person. Great. Same. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a black no. woman in today's America. So yep. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, you know, I think the draft decision that was leaked, it was surprising that it was leaked and none mm. of us expected to see it at the beginning of May. Um, but nothing I read in there surprised me in terms of what I expected the Supreme court to decide in this case, unfortunately. Um, do I think that that means that things couldn't change? No. Um, the Supreme Court was, you know, created to be kind of, you know, the final stop and the law of the land. Um, and I think what we're seeing right now with this version of the Supreme Court is that it's become politicized in a way the Supreme Court was never supposed to be, um, And they, I think what we see in the draft opinion very clearly is political beliefs um, and religious beliefs. Um, And so, you know, part of me wonders if there's a possibility that if there's enough outrage following the draft leak, uh, that they might not, you know, at least tone down some of the language just because. of how just how outraged people are. Uh, but the people who are outraged are not the people <laughs> that um, Justice Alito and the the other justices who are going to, you know, favor the opinion 
um, really care about. So I don't have high hopes that we're going to see anything drastically different when the final opinion comes out, unfortunately. Um, and even if we did, even if Roe was upheld, there's still a ton of work to be done for abortion access in this country. And this still needs to be the conversation that we're regularly having. I'd love to talk a little bit more about that because I feel like I do sometimes see on social media, especially almost this like defeatist attitude of like, well, that's it. It's over. And it seems to me what you're saying is like, it's not over. Um, we are still fighting. And so I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit and kind of what what can people do now to show up for abortion access? Sure. I, I mean, I want to be clear. Whether abortion is legal in all 50 states or in half of the states in the country, people are still going to get abortions. And it's just a matter of what we do to make sure that they can get the care that they need. People are going to have to jump over far more barriers and uh, you know, to access the care that they need, but people are going to continue to have abortions. And, uh, we know that to be true pre Roe v. Wade, during Roe v. Wade, and in what we imagine is a post Roe world. Um, I think what people need to be doing in this moment is supporting abortion funds. Um, my organization, Access Reproductive Justice, is the only abortion fund in California. California, one of the states that is, uh, would still have abortion um, available here in the state. Um, but there are over 80 abortion funds across the country that have been working for decades, that are black and brown led, that are LGBTQ led, that have worked with historically marginalized populations to get people access to the abortion care they want and need for, for decades. Um, Abortion funds literally help people pay for their abortion procedures or medication abortion. They help people uh, with transportation, with lodging, with childcare, with food, with doula support. Um, and so we know our services and our work is going to be even more important in this quote unquote post row world uh, where people have to travel great distances. Is it fair? Do I think the end-all be-all is that people have to get on planes to get the abortion care they need? Absolutely not. But, you know, we here in California really feel like um, we are filling in where the government has failed its people. And we will do that until the government is no longer failing its people. Um, so I think it's really important for people to donate to abortion funds, to donate to independent clinics. Um to really inform yourself. There's a lot of information out there about self-managing abortions with medication abortion. Um, and we all need to be uh, as skilled up as possible in this moment. Um, and then I also would say too, if you don't have the financial resources to support organizations and clinics and, and these entities, many of us need volunteers. Access has a network of over 500 volunteers across the state. 50 to 75 of whom are really active, but they drive people to appointments. Um, in pre-COVID times, they housed people, and we're talking about reintegrating housing this summer. 
Um, and in calendar year 2021, they provided $15,000 in direct cash assistance to our callers on top of the $100,000 that we provided callers. So, wow. um, you know, there's something for everyone to do, but I think, you know, not being afraid to say the word abortion, being able to have tough or easy conversations about mm-hmm. abortion with your family members, with your friends, with your communities um, is really important also because we have to do the work to destigmatize abortion. It's basic health care. Um, and no one deserves to have to leave their home, their city, their state to access the care that they need. Um, you mentioned your the organization that you uh, work for. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys do? Sure. So Access Reproductive Justice, we were founded in 1993. Uh, so we are almost 30 years old. And I always say that because people think about California as this like blue bastion where you, you know, ab- abortion on demand and <laughs> access to everything. Um, but we exist because there's a unmet need. Uh, and we were founded by folks who were clinic escorts who saw that people were coming to abortion clinics, didn't have, you know, were getting out of cabs, didn't have a ride home, didn't have lodging to stay overnight for multiple day appointments, needed financial assistance paying for the abortion procedure itself. Um, and so they founded Access. And we have done that work ever since. Um, so we op- we operate a Healthline Monday through Friday where folks can call in and we essentially support anyone in California receiving care here in the state, uh, anyone outside of California coming to California to receive care. Um, and in some occasions, folks who are in California who have to leave the state to access care. Um, and you call our healthline. It's staffed by two amazing healthline uh, staff members. And uh, we have an intake process. The intake process really just allows us to provide the, the best quality support we can. There are no requirements to access our support. Um, but we, we provide support with procedural funding, which is, you know, paying for the abortion itself. Uh, we partner with a lot of clinics across the state so that we can pledge directly to the clinic and the caller doesn't even have to worry about, you know, managing the finances of it all. Um, and then we also provide what we call practical support. And our practical support looks like uh, helping folks with transportation, with hotel stays, um, paying for childcare, paying for food while they're away from home. Uh, and then, you know, w- we also employ our volunteers to provide this support. So sometimes we book a hotel for a caller. If they have a two or three night stay, we might book one or two nights of the hotel and ask our volunteers to cover, um, you know, the, the final night of the hotel. Um, we might ask a, a volunteer to drive someone to an appointment if they're in the area. Um, we sometimes call Ubers directly for, you know, Ubers and Lyfts directly for folks. Um, yeah. And we support in last year, we supported about 500 just over 500 callers. Um, but if you look at January through April of 2022, 
compared to January through April of 2021, we've already seen a doubling of our caller numbers. Um, So certainly anticipate that to continue and also drastically increase when half of the country has banned abortion pretty much outright. For someone seeking abortion care, uh, who doesn't really know where to start. And I know it's it's on a state-by-state basis, but what is the, the first step for someone seeking an abortion? Yeah, so I will say most of our callers have already found an appointment somewhere. So most of our callers are referred to us from clinics, um, but sometimes people find us on the internet Um, But usually what we advise folks is to find a clinic where they can be seen um, and to, you know, get the appointment process started. Um, There are some really great websites. There's one called I Need an A, um, which is I Need an Abortion. Um, And then there's another site, which I'm suddenly blanking on the name of, but I'm going to pull it up if I can find it. Um, And folks can, um, oh, it's abortionfinder.org. You'd think I would be able to remember a very simple name like that. (laughs) So I need an A and abortionfinder.org are both really great resources for people Um, you can put in your zip code, you can put in your last menstrual period. If you know how far along you are, you can put that information in. You can see like the state restrictions, you can see what kind of abortions the clinic might provide, etc. So yeah, we encourage folks to try and make an appointment, it just makes it a little bit easier for us to provide um, support when we know like what people's schedules are starting to look like. But that's really the first step. Um, and that step doesn't really vary from state to state. Um, of course, if you're in Texas, for example, where abortion is essentially banned at this point, um, you could still use those websites to find the nearest available clinics to you. Um, and oftentimes clinics in your home state, such as Texas, can help refer you to, uh, other clinics. So I know like a lot of the Planned Parenthood, um, affiliates in Texas will direct people to Planned Parenthood clinics in other States. Um, but you know, you need to get an appointment, uh, depending on what state you're in, you may have to go in for an initial ultrasound. There might be a waiting period. That's where things start to really vary. Um, And then, of course, if you need support in paying for your abortion or getting, you know, all of the the wraparound services needed, that's when an organization like Access Reproductive Justice comes in. Again, we work really closely with clinics, and so clinics can often refer their patients directly to us. Um, And then we're able to work with the clinic even better to kind of coordinate our support Um, But sometimes people find us on Google or referred to us by a friend um, or have called before and know that we exist. Um, And so in some of those instances, we can help navigate folks to clinics as well. It's like, oh, I'm 20 weeks along. It's like, well, we know there are not that many providers in California that provide abortions at 20 weeks and beyond. So we know the handful you could reach out to 
based on where you are in the state, we might recommend this clinic in Southern California or this clinic in Northern California, um, et cetera. So it varies pretty drastically, but um, that's kind of kind of the, the gist of it. How did you come to um, this work? I wish I knew. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I've always been really passionate about reproductive health and rights. Um, I'm a mixed race black woman. I grew up with a black father and a white mother. And I faced a lot of like racism colorism and just kind of challenges in my upbringing um, along with my like deep, deep passion for social justice work. My dad worked in politics. Both of my parents were like avid readers. We were always talking about anything that was going on. Um, So when I graduated from college, I moved to Washington, D.C. because that's where everything was happening. (laughs) And I had to work in politics and policy. And I really, I made a lot of friends based on my political beliefs. Um, There was a great group called the Women's Information Network, which was all pro-choice women, like young women in DC. And there was this great listserv and we would, you know, have community events and things like that. Um, And then I got involved with the Planned Parenthood in D.C. I was on the board of Planned Parenthood Metropolitan Washington. Um, But something was always still missing for me, um, especially with my racial identity and just understanding, like, the complexity of people's lives. And I was working at YWCA USA at the time, and um, their work was all around empower empowering women and eliminating racism and that's really where i kind of found a political home because i was like yes like you can't empower women without eliminating racism if you're a black woman right if you're a woman of color and that's when i learned about intersectionality uh that's when i learned about the reproductive justice movement that was coined and led by black women Um, And it really resonated with me because I was like, I don't show up one day as a woman, the next day with my black side and the day after that with my white side and the day after that as someone's wife or girlfriend, you know, like I am all of those things every day. And that impacts how I see the world that impacts how I navigate the world. um, And that impacts how the world interacts with me and I interact with it. Um, So I really found like my political home in reproductive justice Mm -hmm. and um, this idea that it's not just about abortion. It's not just about contraception, that it's about bodily autonomy. It's about the right for us to make decisions that impact our lives and our families and our communities. Um, And that, you know, police violence or contaminated water um, or a lack of paid leave all impacts your ability to raise a family and certainly impacts your, your ability to make a determination about whether or not you want to be a parent. Um, 
And so I, I went to work for this amazing organization in our own voice, the National Black Women's Reproductive Justice Agenda. It's a national organization based in D.C. Um, that has partner organizations in, I used to know the number, six or seven states <laughs> across the country. Um, and it's really lifting up the voices of Black women and the, the amazing reproductive justice work that we all do. Um, and I joined this fellowship program. Um, the Rockwood Institute has a, has a fellowship program for reproductive health rights and justice leaders. And three of my fellow cohort members were abortion fund leaders. And it was, um, our program started in November, 2019. And so the second half of our fellowship was like very much in the midst of the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And I was like, I don't think I can work in DC anymore. Federal policy moves slow. You know, you have to say the same thing 195 times sometimes to get it through a legislator's Mm -hmm. brain. Like they're still using outdated talking points. We're still using hanger imagery and talking about women when abortion is a pregnant person's um, issue and affects all of us. Um, And I just didn't feel like I was making the impact that I wanted to make. And so those three abortion fund leaders encouraged me to apply for my job at Access. And um, I'm originally from California. Uh, My partner and I had talked about moving back to California, did not think it was going to be in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, But I got the job and we moved and it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Um, This work is hard. It is unrelenting. Um, But every day, me and my team get to come to work and know that we're making a difference. Um, and someone said to me in a meeting last week, uh, the day after the decision leaked, you know, people woke up all across the country today, pissed, just mad, and not knowing what to do, not feeling like they had any power or control to make a difference and make an influence. And me and my team and, you know, my colleagues in the reproductive health rights and justice spaces, we got to wake up and do something like, you know, my healthline team woke up and answered the phone and helped people access abortion. And we'll continue to do that. Um, So it just, it feels like I've been on a really important, like personal journey, but also professional journey. And it's led me right to where I'm supposed to be, particularly in this moment, I think I would be really frustrated (laughs) if I was in DC right now. And I know many of my friends who are still in DC fighting the good fight. Thank God for them um, are frustrated. So I'm, I'm certainly frustrated as well, but really glad that there's something tangible that I am doing that makes, makes a difference in people's lives. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. 
Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the Amen. purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. I wanted to ask you a little bit about inclusivity and the language we use when we talk about reproductive rights, um, especially when it comes mm -hmm. to, to gender identity. I'm, I'm seeing a shift and I've been trying to kind of especially be conscious of it myself when I speak about reproductive justice, but I would love to just hear a little bit more about how we can be more inclusive in the ways in which we, we speak about it. Absolutely. I love this question. And I always, this, my friends in DC in federal policy will laugh if they hear this because I used to always die on the sword with legislators. It's like, stop saying women. All I ask you to do in your press releases, at press conferences, in your talking points is to stop saying women because um, this is not just a women's issue. Uh, abortion access, contraception, those are, you know, reproductive health rights, justice are not just women's issues. It's about bodily autonomy and the ability to control our own bodies and make decisions for ourselves and our families and our communities. Um, 
trans people, gender non-conforming people have abortions. It is incredibly offensive to those communities to just leave them out of the conversation entirely. Uh, they might not identify as women. Some of them may, some of them may not. Um, and we need to just move away from this notion that this is a woman's issue because um, I think that takes away from the power and the importance of this issue, you know, altogether. Um, so I think, I think there is movement in the movement away from gendered language. I think it's really hard for folks, you know, we, we get, we all get stuck in our ways at one time or another. Um, but you know, my decision, I've said before, I think before we started recording, I'm currently pregnant. Uh, and that was a decision that I made with my partner, um, who identifies as a man <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're married and we're going to make decisions about our family formation together. Um, and if I had, for, you know, if I had, for whatever reason, thought that this wasn't a pregnancy I could carry, my husband would have supported me in that decision, but it also would have impacted him and his family and his uh, values, right? And so, you know, I think there's like a morality thing around the gendered language. And then I also think there's just like a practical, not everyone who has abortions identify as women, and that's okay. Um, we get really stuck, I think, in these gendered lanes. And it's like, if there's anything that the COVID pandemic shows us, if there's anything that the Supreme Court draft opinion shows us it's that what affects one of us affects all of us um and so we just need to think about these issues holistically because they're not you know they cannot be siloed from each other and that's honestly why we are where we are is because we try and think of these as single issues and not completely interconnected can you can you speak a little bit more to um intersectionality and reproductive justice. Um, I guess what I'm asking is how, how do these issues around abortion access um, disproportionately affect people of color? Sure. So, I mean, I can give you like the literal reproductive justice definition, which is essentially reproductive justice is the human right to maintain personal bodily autonomy, uh, autonomy, to have children, not have children, and parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, and it's very much interconnected with intersectionality. Um, essentially, uh, a group of Black women came together um, in the early 90s and um, we're recognizing that the quote unquote women's rights movement um, and the pro-choice movement, you know, were led by middle class and upper class white cisgendered women. Um, and, you know, going back to what I said earlier about Roe v. Wade and a right only being a right if you can access it, I think the language around choice really did not resonate with black women, indigenous women, other women of color, trans folks, 
so on and so forth. Because for many people, they didn't have a choice. Um, they either couldn't access the care that they needed, even though it was said to be a right, um, or, um, you know, they were forced into carrying a pregnancy that they didn't desire. Uh, so the reproductive justice framework was really designed to reflect the full lived experience of communities of color, um, the LGBTQ community, the trans gender non-binary community, um, immigrants and folks living at the margins. Um, and, you know, it, reproductive justice is very deeply rooted in social justice and, um, and in intersectionality and the, the notion that, um, you know, we don't get to separate our, our decisions around whether or not we're going to have a family from what our economic status is or what our, you know, our political status might be in the world um, that we can't make determinations about whether or not we want to have children without thinking about whether or not we can raise those children in safe environments, free from harm, free from destruction, free from violence um, that we can't raise those families. If we don't have a steady income Um if we don't have paid family leave or, or sick leave or whatever, you know, we might need in that regard. Um, and so, yeah, I think reproductive justice just really built on the reproductive health and rights movements and the pro-choice movement, but takes it a step further. I think it's a really holistic framework. Um, and I think it humanizes a lot of what it is that we're talking about. Um, because it's not just, oh, I'm getting an abortion. It's, do I have a car to get to the clinic? Do I have the money to pay for this abortion? If I chose not to have this abortion, do I have the family or, you know, friend community support that I need to raise a child? Can I ensure that the child that I choose to have is going to be safe to play in my front yard and not be gunned down by police, right? Like all of these really important things that go into your decision to have an abortion or not have an abortion, um, to choose to be a parent or not choose, choose not to be a parent. Um, and so I think intersectionality brings a really important holisticness to um, the conversations we need to be having. It's yes, abortion is healthcare. It's a simple procedure. It's safer than many other healthcare procedures that people try to access. So there's that, there's that very like basic notion. And then it's far more complex than that, right? It's stigmatized, it's politicized and um, barriers disproportionately impact people who are experiencing many other barriers and we have to be able to have that conversation and understand that nuance to really advocate for policy change and social change that is necessary to move us forward. I think it, it is, it's so important, like you say, to 
really think about that access and policy are they're intertwined. Um, and it's not enough to have, you know, the law on the books. Um, there's kind of all these other things that go along with having those laws on the books about abortion um, that are so important to remember. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious about what are the ways in which um, these abortion bans, restrictions, um, actually, I would love for you to tell me the proper way to say that, um, how that's going to impact uh, or, or what what is the ripple effect in terms of, of health care and health care access? Sure. Um, you can call them abortion bans. You can call okay. them abortion restrictions. We've Thank got a you. lot of terminology in the movement. Um, I mean, as it relates to accessing abortions, it's definitely going to put a strain on abortion providers in the states where abortion has not been banned. Um, you know, we've already seen a taste of that, I would say, with Texas. So when Texas banned most abortions, uh, folks started leaving the state to access care. So they were going to Oklahoma, they were going to New Mexico. There are only so many clinics um, and providers in those states. And very quickly, wait times went from like three days to three weeks. Um, folks in Oklahoma and New Mexico couldn't always access the care that they needed because there were, you know, there was such an influx of Texans coming to their states. Um, so then, you know, f there's kind of a rollover effect. So that's when we started seeing more Texans coming to California. Cause it's like, if you can't get an appointment in New Mexico, if you can't get an appointment in Oklahoma, then you're going to go to Arizona then you're going to go to Nevada. Then you're going to go to California or you're, you know, you'll, you'll go East to other Southern states, which have a lot of restrictions and um, you know, some States have very few clinics. So there is a ripple effect in that regard in terms of how it affects anyone's ability to access abortion care. Um, and also, you know, we're putting people in positions where they might have to wait multiple weeks to access their abortion and that can push them further into their pregnancy, which can make the procedure more expensive, which means there are often less providers who, who will perform the procedure. So it impacts your, you know, access to healthcare in a lot of different ways. Um, I think another fear that is very much warranted is that this Supreme Court decision will lead to the rolling back of many other rights we have. Um, and, you know, the Affordable Care Act was not a perfect piece of legislation or policy by any means, but we've really been able to gain and increase a lot of access to health care through the Affordable Care Act. Who's to say that they're not going to roll back decisions in the ACA? Um, you know, the Oklahoma governor is already talking about Roe is not the only thing he plans to ban. He plans to ban contraception. Um, so not only are you going to tell people that they can't have abortions and you're going to force them into pregnancy, but you're also going to tell them that they can't protect themselves from an unwanted pregnancy in the first place. Um, so there are certainly ripple effects, I think, that we'll see across the healthcare system. I hope that in progressive states where abortion is still accessible, we'll see an increase in providers, um, who 
are able to provide, you know, the full range of reproductive health care for folks. Um, and, you know, I think it's really important, too, to think about ensuring that providers are, are trained in cultural competency, um, that we have a diverse provider network that is representative of indigenous communities and representative of rural communities, representative of southern states and communities where people's lived experience is certainly going to translate to the type of abortion care and abortion access they need. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of that's really unknown, like what impact this is going to have, not only for reproductive health care, but for health care writ large. But I think we'd be fools to think that there's not going to be an impact at all. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, the the ripple effect, like you said, just when you kind of play it all out, it's it's extremely, extremely scary. Um, well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time um, and for sharing all of this with us. Um, we are so grateful to you and grateful for the work that you do. So thank you for that as well. Um, you. Can you kind of just briefly touch on how our listeners um, can get involved? Yes, absolutely. Um, I strongly encourage uh, folks to go to accessrj.org. That's our website where you can both donate to us. You can also um, find our volunteer interest form if you're interested in becoming a volunteer. Um, If you're not in California, I strongly encourage you to go to um, abortionfunds.org where you can learn about the abortion fund that likely exists in your state. Um, in some states like Texas, there are 10 abortion funds um, across the state of Texas. So plenty of places where you can not only give your financial support, but your physical uh, and emotional support. Um, I also really encourage folks to uh, look into the independent providers in your community Um, We love our Planned Parenthood clinics. We love our Planned Parenthood affiliates. um, But the majority of abortions are performed by independent providers and clinics across the country. um, And they're trying to figure out how to keep their doors open, Mm -hmm. uh, even if abortion is banned in their states, and how to make sure that they can keep their staffs whole and um, not put people out of jobs, which really goes against our our values. So. please look into the abortion care network. They represent all of the, the indie clinics across the country and you can get connected to ways to support the clinics and donate to them as well. Um, and lastly, please just say abortion, say it all day, every day. I say it more than I say my partner's name. So (laughs) just, we, we have to normalize it. Um, it's, no different than going to your healthcare provider for any other service. So um, just strongly encourage people to do whatever they can to help us destigmatize um, what is basic healthcare. Well, thank you so much. It was great to have thank you. you. Thank yeah, you. Thank you so much. so much. Well, I'm, I'm happy to report that I have been stretching and I've okay. been doing some yoga and I actually, mm. you know, I have been getting acquainted with Dream Forever 35 guest, Adrian of Yoga with Adrian. 
And I've been doing some of her like morning yoga. I'm thinking about doing her 30 day yoga program that she has. Mm-hmm. She's just a, she's a really, I know everybody already knows this and I'm just, you know, I'm one voice of millions, but she's a really lovely yoga teacher and um, I have found her videos really accessible. So uh, I have been enjoying them. And then my intention this week is that I need to keep aiming for, excuse me, early bedtimes because Mm. I am sleeping like nine to 11 hours a night right now um, post, you know, I'm kind of, I'm not COVID positive, but I'm, you know, I still have the lingering symptoms and my body clearly needs rest. You know, I slept from about 9.45 to 7 a.m. last night. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. And I really need to honor that. So that's my intention for this week. Rest, rest, rest. Well, Kate, um, my last week's intention of mine has been like lost to history. Um, That's okay. But I... This week, I think I am going to. I, I want to start a new book. Um, Ooh. you know, I went. I went on like a tear and read like a few books, like right in a row, and then I needed a little break, and now I'm ready to get back into it. And so, do you have one that you're going for? I do have my my friend uh, Janelle Brown's new book, which is called "I'll Be You." Ooh. Um, and it's about identical twins whose like lives diverge and then they like come back together. But it's like kind of, a, I don't want to call it a thriller, but it's, it's got like thriller elements to it. Apparently. There's a real um, Dory vibe to it. It's got a real Dory vibe. So I'm excited to get into it. Um, so I think that's going to be my next, I think that's going to be my next book. And I, I will say like, <laughs> I think it's going to be one of those books that like, I don't want to stop reading, which I think has actually been what's been like stopping me from um, starting it. <laughs> because you know, you need to commit and you're going to yes. be up till two in the morning. Exactly. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I got to like be ready for this. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm, that's what I'm going for. I'm in the market Um, for a new book too. I I did just finish (laughs) Ruby Dixon, author of Ice Planet Barbarians, The Half Orcs Maiden Bride, in which uh, a half orc and a maiden get married. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm in the market for something. All right. Well, that is very exciting. Are you are you looking for recommendations or are you No, I've got two books on my bedside table that I've kind of been like saving. I've got Jasmine Guillory's new book by the oh, book. Oh, yes, I've got yes, yes. Something Wilder by my dream team, Christina Lauren. They're both just kind of sitting there being like, When you're ready, baby. I these also, are like two of my fave authors. So I'm yeah. like, I don't I like to save her. I also got um Jasmine's new book and I'm also really excited to read it. So thank you yeah. for reminding me. Well look, luckily we've got a whole summer ahead of us. So we do. Well, Dory, tis always a pleasure to tis. speak with you. Tis and tis. <laughs> and friendly reminder that Forever 35 is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager, our network partners, ACAST. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening. Bye. Bye.